You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Wednesday, August the 3rd. It's warm and muggy and overcast here in TW11 today and our international tentacles are spreading far and wide. Before I head off to Saratoga tomorrow, Tom will be in the hot seat then for the Whitney uh, at the weekend, which features that much up between Life is Good and Olympiad. Throw in Hot Rod Charlie and you've got one of the races of the season in America to look forward to. Looking even further forward, we got the entry for the Melbourne Cup just coming through to us overnight here in the UK, together with the entry for the Caulfield Cup and the Cox Plate. The exciting news is the international participation looks as though it's going to be right back up. I'll be discussing that with Paul Bloodworth, the head of International for Racing Victoria, later in the program. We'll also be reflecting on a, a bumper entry for the backup to scratch prize money-wise British Champions Day with Greg Taylor, head of marketing for, for Great British Racing. News also, Sylvester D'Souza, three times British champion jockey. He is licensed to ride in Hong Kong from the beginning of their season, which will hopefully give fresh impetus and breathe fresh life into his career that's just been struggling a bit since the end of his retainer with King Power here in Britain. But first of all, we have to take stock of yesterday's Group 1 action from Deauville, which saw Jane Chapelheim's Saffron Beach run out the winner as I welcome into the show Jane Mangan, RTE and Racing TV broadcaster. We'll hear from the trainer in a moment. Jane, what were your impressions on yesterday's Group 1 pre-Rothschild? Pre-race, Nick, it looked like a deep renewal of the Phillies event and Saffron Beach had the favourites tag and for good reason. She made all, pretty much all ahead of Tennant Brism, who had one crack at her inside the final furlong. She did look briefly like she got upside, but she certainly did not head William Buick and the chestnut mare but when she hit the line Saffron Beach was strong she was good on the day she's holding her form well and she's been terrifically trained she has she's been trained by Jane Chapel Hyam I spoke to her a little earlier on and I began by asking her whether this is as good as this filly has ever been yes I do actually she um they they came to challenge and um she found another gear and and just went clear what was it two good two lengths and um William felt that she had improved from her race at Ascot as well. So she's been winning Group 1 races at a mile, but one or two of her targets are over further, particularly if she goes to the Breeders' Cup, or at least that's the assumption. Would it definitely be the filly and mare turf for her that you're pointing towards? I know that's your big season target. I, I think so, yes. Um, she's good in her own set, so I don't... I don't see why we have to go and take on the Colts. So I think the, the owners as breeders would, would like to stay on that road. Jane, would you be confident she'd be as effective over that extra distance of the, of the filly and mare turf? The way their style of racing and the way she's hit the line at Ascot and yesterday, I'd believe so, yes. Okay. And as far as the targets in between times are concerned, where would you like to run her? I think we'd head for Ireland, for the matron states. That's a, that will help because that's a winning you're in race for the Breeders' Cup. So I think 
that will be the goal as long as she trains well leading up to that. The horses are running incredibly well this season, Jane. It's been another season of great productivity, the recent flurry of winners as well. Um, do you really feel like you've got the stable exactly where you want it now? Yeah, I think so. Nothing's changed. I train the same. I feed the same. It's just probably I'm lucky to have stepped up to better quality horses and that always helps any any trainer and any team. And um, just lucky that I'm, I've got owners wanting to put horses with me because it's, you know, it's, it's competitive enough, so I'm grateful for that. I saw a, a very nice two-year-old colt that you ran the other day at, at Newmarket and just went down to a good horse of Godolphin's. The horse of yours is called Millstream, runs in uh, Peter Harris's famous colours. Um, how excited are you by him? Yeah, very much so, and he's come out of that race in great order. And um, he'll head to York for the Acom. So looking forward to getting him up there. Uh, is, is he your best two-year-old this year? Ooh, <laughs> that would be telling. He's he's in the top tier, that's for sure. But there could be there could be a few more to come out. Excellent. Well, I'm excited by them. Can you give us any clues as to their provenance? Um, well, I'm, I'm galloping a load on Saturday, so I have a better idea then. So um, I'll update you then. Okay, we 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 might we might talk on Monday then. I'll hold you to that, Jane. You know that. But um, I'm I, I, I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to seeing this one in the in the Acom Stakes. And any news on Claymore? Yeah, no, he's he's running against the older horses up at York. Um, I kind of feel taking on the older horses. I don't know if it was right at that that time of year, but we gave it a go, and the ground just might have been a little bit quick, and the pace probably could have done with going a stronger pace, but. Yep, we gave it a go, and um, he's he's got an entry in Deauville for three-year-olds only, and um, we'll see what's about in England or Ireland. Jane Chappelheim there from one Jane to another. Jane Mangan, were you impressed with Saffron Beach? I've always been a big fan, so I, I don't need to be impressed. From when she was second in the Guineas behind Mother Earth, I've always followed this Phillies career, and I thought it was a it was a it was a good move by her trainer to avoid Baid and go to the Duke of Cambridge at Royal Ascot where she never really looked in doubt beating Thunder Beauty there. Um, but what she did yesterday, she's got a great appetite for racing this filly and the mile is, is right up her street. But I must say, briefly, I thought Ryan Moore just had the target and inside the final front, you could see the pace of Tenebrism Wayne. She just isn't that strong over a mile. Coming back to seven, she would have been uh, very, very hard to beat. But Saffron Beach, well, as I said, the, the race looked strong pre-race yesterday and she hit the line uh, pretty much comfortable. Hard enough for you to think that the extra furlong and a half, nine and a half furlongs the Breeders' Cup fully in Mare Turf at Keeneland, it, it varies in distance according to the track that it's run at, would be within her compass? It's not. Look, ideally it wouldn't, it wouldn't be that far, but she's not stopping when she hits the line. And we know American racing is obviously different and running at a different tempo to here in Europe. She certainly wouldn't be making all the running, you would imagine. Uh, I would be looking forward to seeing her in the matron should she come here and hopefully she would meet uh, homeless songs in spiral, maybe alcohol free um, in the matron at Leopardstown. She's got the sun chariot on her agenda as well. So big targets and rightfully so. But she's um, she's not been over races really. She's always been well placed. And I think she's making hay now on the back of that. She's probably getting better, Nick. And yesterday's performance would suggest at least her best performance. 
Just a quick observation, another Group 1 race in France going the way of the visitors. That's been a bit of a theme for the last few seasons. What, what are the numbers, Jane? So I had a look there before we came on this morning, and there's 57 group races after being run in France this season, 16 of which have been won by a British or Irish trained horse, which that isn't an unusual number. But of the 11 Group 1 races run in France this year, eight of them have been won by a British or Irish trained horse, meaning that only three have stayed at home in France, and that being Videni, of course, in the Jockey Club, Mongoustine in the Pelish, and uh, Onesto in the Grand Prix de Paris. So you just have to ask the question, why... Uh, are the French struggling to keep their top races at home? Are they lacking top horses? Maybe. Are they lacking top owner breeders? Maybe. And what can they do to, to turn that around? But there certainly is a lot of... We saw four group races run in Deauville yesterday. All four were for export. Two to Ireland, two to Britain. And uh, I'd say there'll just be a few eyebrows raised across in France. And there'll be plenty of observers over here thinking maybe we should plan a bit of an invasion all right well the big race this weekend is the phoenix stakes it's a group one it takes place at the curra and it's a terrific rematch between the one two in what's looking a very strong coventry stakes from royal ascot you heard from richard hannon trainer of persian force yesterday now step forward archie watson who handles the undefeated bradsell who was so good when winning that race uh, archie's with me now archie I-, I didn't detect from richard hannon a huge confidence that he could turn the form around, even though he thinks his horse is one of the most exciting two-year-olds he's trained in the last decade. What do you think that says about your horse? Um, look, I, he was obviously very impressive at Ascot, um, and the forms worked out well. Richard's horse obviously won the July stakes. I'm sure he took a step forward. Um, but I'd say, you know, the fact that the forms worked out so well and, um, you know, we were clear of them, um, you know, you'd have to you'd have to see them improving if we run our race to beat us. I hope, yeah. You you strike me as a as, as a pragmatist rather than rather than as a sort of airy dreamer. But does this horse get your blood pressure up a fair bit? Um, he's he's very very talented. Yes. Um. Yeah. You're right. I do, we do try and keep things um sort of. Uh, understated and let the horses do the talking but he um you know his his homework is is very very good um you know the best of anything i've trained in terms of what he's done on the gallops and um you know look we've been very very happy with him it's very hard to find him a lead horse because he'd um just gallop all over your you know glenn shield group one winner tab d who was second in the stewards cup the other day you know they they'd struggle to lead him very far at all so um you know he's he's very talented um so so what do you do then how how do you how do you circumvent that problem <laughs> um he gets led by a very fast five furlong horse who takes him as far as he can into his work is is, is is all but look we don't do we don't do too much with him at home you know he he, he had a very sort of quiet four weeks just tipping away after Ascot, and then he's um he's just geared up done some done some nice bits with um like I say, a couple of very good horses, and then, and then um, we just kicked him clear one day last week from a from a very fast sprinter, and, and that'll do him. But yeah, it is, it is tricky. Um, you know, some obviously some of the bigger yards would have lots of lots of group class five furlong sprinters that, that that they could use for a horse like this. But um, 
you know we've always we've always made it work with our other sprinters you know with with soldiers call and dragon symbol and and, and glenn so uh yeah it's um it's tricky but we don't need to do too much with him so uh it works anyway very fast horse clearly and and you need to keep the the lid on the pot to a certain extent especially when you're traveling abroad has he got a good temperament or is he as explosive as he appears on the race course uh he's got he's he's got a phenomenal temperament really um of all the good all the good horses i've trained sprinters particularly have had the the best temperament so the most laid-back horses you know soldiers call Glenn Shield, Dragon Symbol, and and this lad, um, you know, you, they're just very very straightforward at home. Take it all in their stride at the races, and then when they go in the stalls, they turn it on. And um, this lad is particularly so, considering he's a breeze up horse. Um, you know, Mark Grant obviously did a very good job with him because he he doesn't have all of the the usual sort of telltale signs of a of a breeze that's being buzzed up. Um, you know, he's a very straightforward and, and good in his mind which look might be something to do with the stallion as well when i was at william Haggis's, we had taz Leet and he was a he was a very straightforward dude of the horse and um and this lad's the same why did you buy him uh it's all down to tom biggs really he's the he's the genius behind that um i just do what i'm told uh i look obviously tom liked him a lot of the sales and when i went to see him to see the shortlist on the morning of um I liked him a lot, um, and uh, he betted in everything for us. And and you know we can't be buying at that 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 fancy level. This is uh, you know about as much as we spend on one sort of what was he forty seven grand or something. You know we wouldn't we wouldn't often spend much more than that or able to. So really we're we're trying to find horses within our budget that tick all the boxes. And um, yeah, thankfully he ticked the boxes, and he more than ticks the boxes on the race course. One horse we were hoping to see yesterday at Deauville was very elegant, last year's Melbourne Cup winner. She's had her European comeback delayed a little, but we're expecting to see her later in the month. The Melbourne Cup announced its entry yesterday for 2022, and there was the second highest international entry ever of 43. No mean feat, given we weren't quite sure the appetite from the internationals given the enhanced veterinary checks and the lasting legacy of the pandemic. But right back up to 43, uh, I gauged the reaction of Racing Victoria's Paul Bloodworth. This is what he had to say. Yeah, hi, Nick. We're, we're delighted. We're delighted with the response. Uh, you know, we're coming off quite a low, low base last year when it came to numbers of nominations and also horses. And just to give you an indication of that, last year we had 29 nominations across the three races and this year we had 87 nominations across the three races which comes from 26 individual trainers and 56 individual horses and 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 trainers from four different countries so very pleased with the outcome and and certainly you know the victoria racing club who run the melbourne cup mini valley racing club cox plate and melbourne racing club who run the caulfield cup are all delighted with the response and now the hard work starts to uh, to entice those trainers to take a nomination to uh, progress to coming to Melbourne. Uh, to what extent do you think the changes to the to the policy, the scintigraphy policy, and the veterinary policy have, have had an impact on that? Look, I, I certainly would say that's had some impact, but uh, I think with the passing of time uh, and the capacity that I had to go over to Europe and talk to a lot of trainers 
and explained the, our rationale behind our veterinary requirements so they had a better understanding of why we brought these in uh, has helped a little bit. Um, but I, I still think, you know, our prize money is still amazing. You know, we'd announced a million dollar increases to three races on the last day of the Flemington Carnival, which I think is going to be seen as attractive to some trainers. Uh, so I think, you know, a combination of those three things has led us to go back to levels that we had pre-COVID. So um, whilst we're extremely happy with the, with the response so far, um, the next challenge is to, to facilitate those trainers a, a pathway for them to come to Australia. And in terms of how the horses, the international horses, can train when they get to, to Australia, have uh, changes been made in that respect? No, not really. We're still using the Werribee International Horse Centre uh, for our quarantine facility. Uh, the horses will have to do two weeks uh, post-arrival quarantine once they arrive. Uh, we have recently refurbed our, our synthetic track there. We've deepened it, which was on the feedback of some international trainers. So it should be more like what they use at home. Uh, but generally speaking, the facilities will remain the same. So not much has changed in that regard, uh, with the main change being, as you highlighted, uh, the, the removal of the compulsory scintigraphy pre-travel. But, but once they get here, uh, nothing much has changed in that regard. The horses will have to have a CT scan uh, prior to them racing. Um, and uh, and then they'll run in the races as required. So, so to some extent, not a lot has changed, uh, but certainly the response this year compared to last year has has changed dramatically. I wondered, given the fact that you've had north of forty international entries for the for the cup, whether that will then bleed out into some of the other big races around the carnival, and you you might start seeing more Europeans than otherwise you might have imagined. Well, definitely, I had very modest expectations this year, given we only had four internationally trained horses come to Melbourne last year, uh, I would have been very happy, and I think most of us here would have been very happy with, you know, a doubling of that number. Uh, so given the numbers that we've got, I, I would expect that we probably will get a few more than that this year, and that might also mean that some of our support races like the Geelong Cup uh, and the Mooney Valley Cup, which are Group 2 and Group 3 races, uh, who've been, you know, contested before by international trainers, they, they could be races that they look at. Uh, you know, in a lead up to the Melbourne Cup, uh, and also our races on Champions Day, the the mile, the Champions Mile, and the Champions Stakes, which which are the races I referred to before that have had a million dollar increase uh, this year. I, I doubt very much we'll get anyone for our sprints, uh, given Nature Strip will be going around in in that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, this, it's fair to say there's there's some speculative nominations, um, and we've got some nominations from some trainers that haven't been here for quite a while, like Brian Ellison, so it'd be great to see Brian back, but also great to see Simon and Ed Crisford nominate a horse, and Simon's been here plenty of times in his previous life as, a, as Godolphin's main man, uh, but never been here as a trainer, so we're really excited to, to welcome some, some previous uh, customers and, and welcome some new people to, to Victoria as well. Paul Bloodworth there from Racing Victoria on the entry for the Melbourne Cup, Caulfield Cup and Cox Plate, which was extremely encouraging from an international perspective. And that dropped through to us last night, UK time. In association with the Victoria Racing Club, this podcast will be on the road to the Lexus Melbourne Cup, which we're very excited about. And we'll be broadcasting from Melbourne during Cup Week itself. Jane Mangan's been perusing the entry very quickly. Uh, What do you think of it, Jane? It's all in the numbers. Last year, there was 15 international entries in the Melbourne Cup. This year, as you mentioned, 43. So of the 186, we've got a a good representation 
of the Star Act Mojo Star second in the Aspect Gold Cup, of course, for for Ammo Racing and, and Roger, or sorry, Richard Hannon. Uh, James Ferguson's got El Bodigan in there along with Dover Legend. Silver Cup winner without a fight is in there. Dermot Weld, 20 years on from Media Puzzle, has got Falcon 8 in there, the former Chester Cup winner. Aidan O'Brien is responsible for six entries, including changing of the guard, who won a derby trial. Point Lonsdale, who we haven't seen for quite a long time, in Akel. And, uh, of course, Joseph has won two of the last five renewals of the Melbourne Cup, Joseph O'Brien, so he's of obvious interest. He's got Baron Samady, Master of Reality, Okita Soshi, and to be honest, the most attractive to me looks like Cleveland, the Chester Cup winner. He was second in Royal Ascot, of course, Okita Soshi was third behind him that day in the Copper Horse over mile six. Cleveland uh, moving from Aiden to Joseph, and he looks like a really interesting horse. All right, and just looking to the, the Cox plate, this is interesting. Obviously, defending champion state of rest is in there. We'd expect him to, to go, all things being equal. We are possibly going to have Nation's Pride there. Now, he's got an engagement at Saratoga this weekend for Charlie Appleby and William Buick in the Saratoga Derby. I, I'd say he'll take a bit of beating in that race to uh, an overturned classic causeway from their meeting at Belmont last time. Um, Buick and Appleby, incidentally, are on Sar- at Saratoga on Sunday as well with, with the moonlight. Um, so Nation's Pride could land up in the Cox Plate. We could also have Real World from the other branch of the, the Godolphin operation, Jane. Yes, we could. And everybody will think for the Cox Plate, Mooney Valley, nearly $5 million on offer. Could we not have attracted a Baid entry? <laughs> you know, really read the headline. Real world runner up to Baid. Both of the Cox plate are thinking, well, what a headline it would make if we had the top horse there. But it seems he's going to stick to the tried and trusted Frankel route as his trainer, William Haggis, has suggested. And we're going to see him in Champions Day instead. Yeah, interesting that. We assume that we're going to see him on Champions Day. Angus Gold was asked the question, Jane, this week about Baid's possible participation in the ARC. And rather than ruling it out and saying, as William Haggis did at Goodwood, well, that would just be a sign that I think he's lost his speed. Gold said, let's, let's get York out of the way first and then we can discuss things like that. So it wasn't punted completely into the long grass. What do you think about the idea of, of Baid uh, trying to emulate his own stallion, see the stars and, and add an arc to his already glittering CV? I, 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 I like ambition and I like being, and the most ambitious route to, be, to go would be to step him up to a mile and a half. But as Angus suggested, let's see him over 10 furlongs first in the Judmont. It looks like he's raced to lose. It doesn't look like a vintage Judmont at this stage. He's also got the QE2 entry um, and he's got the Champion Stakes entry on Champions Day as well. But uh, do I see him stepping up to a mile and a half? I realistically don't see it happening. Would I like to see it happen? Of course I would. I do believe he is the best horse in the world. Um, and the pace that he's got, his father had. But his father, man, Mick Canan, managed to keep the lid on him to get him to settle, to get the trip. And uh, I do think when, when we're talking in realms of Frankel, and I know you don't like to compare this guy to Frankel, but you know we all think he would have probably stayed if he had settled as well. So those top, top horses... Those horses that have so much talent if you can actually get them to relax enough they will probably stay any trip so that's just my take on Baid I am a, a, a huge fan of the horse he is unbeaten and there's always a little bit when a horse goes unbeaten for this long will we play it safe and maintain the unbeaten record it would be a shame to lose it before he retires but of course that's playing conservative and when you have a horse of a lifetime like Baid do you really want to play the conservative card do you want to be ambitious do you want to go out in your shield like John Ox and, and Mick Canan did with See the Stars of course if you want to 
go down in the history books and be remembered. You have to be ambitious. Well, that remains to be seen. The likeliest outcome is that after York, Baid will head to Champions Day. The entries, as I said at the beginning of the programme, are out for that as well. I've been talking to Greg Taylor, who's the marketing director for British Champions Series and Great British Racing. And uh, clearly, there was one obvious starting point. Baid has, has entries in both the, the Kipco Champions Stakes and the QE2. And, you know, in all likelihood from, from, you know, what we were hearing last week from William Haggis, Champions Day is likely to be his swan song. So, you know, so exciting that we'll have, you know, the best horse in, in the world coming to Ascot, hoping to finish his glittering career on a high on, on Saturday, the 15th of October. And yes, obviously, we'll, we'll have to see how he, how he fares at York and all eyes on the Jubmont International first. Um, but, you know, really exciting if he, if he were to take his, his place in, in the feature 1.3 million pound Kipco champion stakes and just concentrating on, on, on that race first. I mean, the, the field quality at this stage looks absolutely top draw. Not only is there Baid in there, there's Adair, who's apparently been pleasing Charlie Appleby as he gears up for his return to the track. Eclipso Hero Vidini, uh, the 1-2 from last year's Kipco Champion Stakes, Seal Away and Dubai Honor. And not forgetting a, a top class trio of uh, of horses from the from the John Gosden team, so Nashua, Lord North, and Mishriff, who who went off favourite for the Champion Stakes last year. Yeah, the fact that the first and second from last year are sixteen to one and twenty to one gives you some idea of the the fresh depth of of this year's race. Indeed, yes. Um, I mean, plenty plenty of big big names in there, and. Um, you know, as 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 you would as, as you would hope to do. I mean, the, the Kipco Champion Stakes will this year be run as the the richest mile and a quarter race in Europe, um, and it's you know worth just just stating that total prize money for the day this year is is up to four point one million pounds, and of course that's thanks to the the continued support and investment of Kipco. And looking at the QE2 chief supporting race, obviously Baid's a possibility there as well, but we'd imagine he'll end up in the champion stakes. But Caribus Homeless Songs in Spiral, Native Trail, that's a, a very strong lineup of three year olds potentially. Uh, also, yes, looking looking very very strong. Um, clearly, we're all you know fascinated to see how how Caribus will will get on against older older horses after after missing the Sussex last week. Um, but you know, there's, there's there's real quality in in here, as you said, Homeless Songs. Representing a, a yard in Dermot Weld, who has a, a good record on Champions Day, and it sounds as well. Talking of people who have a good record on Champions Day, um, John Gosden has won the you know, two of the last five renewals of the QE2, and it does sound like in Spiral, you know, this this could be the race for her, and it'll be really interesting to see if if, if this is where she ends up um, following that you know following that brilliant Royal Ascot display that you know running the Falmouth that seems to come too quickly and um, you know she turns up here to take on the Colts that that could be really exciting we were talking today uh, to Australian administrators about European horses going there uh, we've got very elegant in Europe she's had a delayed start to her season but she's got a Champions Day entry as well she has a really fascinating runner um, and she featured in a, a record entry for this year's Kipka Phillies and Mare Stakes um, as you said, I think we're all intrigued to see her make a European debut. Be obviously, fantastic if if she were to to, to you know to go forward and, uh, and run on Champions Day, and plenty of you know plenty of other star fillies in in the lineup for for that race, including Tuesday, Emily Up, John uh, Alpinista, last year's winner Ashada, um, and then just looking at the other two group races on on, on the card. 
Um, we have Trushan, who could be going for third consecutive Kipka Long Distance Cup, likely to um, potentially could be locking horns with uh, the two horses who finished ahead of him at Goodwood last week in Kiprios and Stradivarius. Um, and then at the opposite end of the spectrum in the Kipco British Champions Sprint, a uh, creative force could also looking to be uh, could could be looking to do a double on Champions Day. Um, he's been aimed towards a repeat bid in the sprint, and uh, he could take on there his stable mate Naval Crown, perfect power potentially, um, and also alcohol free should she revert back to sprinting on Kipco British Champions Day. That was Greg Taylor from Great British Racing British Champions Series it'll be it'll be here before you know it you know 15th of October 4.1 million pounds of prize money that that really is pretty notable and 47 group 1 winning horses with 100 group 1 wins between them entered for this bonanza this year and clearly as we're doing with all the major international festivals we will be keeping British Champions Day front and center during the course of the next few months. Jane Mangan is still with me. Uh, Jane, I wanted to turn our attentions to, to Galway because I realised that uh, with everything going on at Goodwood and the Desert Crown story, Peter Saville last week, uh, Galway rather got slightly short shrift. Uh, not from you, though. You were there for all 27 days of it and all <laughs> 4,621 races. Yes, uh, me and just 10% less of the people who were there in 2019. There was... Uh, it was a great atmosphere and everybody's talking about how wonderful it was to have people back. But it is worth mentioning that we were down around 12,500 people uh, over the seven days, not the 77 days. And there was a lot of talking points. We talk a lot about, you know, racing and stories and uh, capturing the imagination, how to attract new people into the new audiences, into this uh, sport. Well, Galway kind of encapsulated all of that last week. We had wonderful stories from start to finish from Brian Duffy and and Magic Chicago breaking down en route to the races while he was waiting for another box to collect and he went into the local church to set a prayer. And then Magic Chicago wins the 100 grand feature on day two, surely enough money to buy a horse box on the way home. You have the Shark Cannon who bought the 850 euro Hewick to go out, go out and win the 270,000 euro Galway plate. That was a magic story. Mick Halford training surrounding to win the listed race um, the, a couple of hours after her owner Peter Newell had passed away and his dying wish that it was that his mayor would take part regardless uh, of his own circumstance and of course Rachel Blackmore and her old boss uh, the Shark Hannon teaming up with Hallowed Star who was bought for a small amount as well from uh, Godolphin and he wins the 110 grand feature on day six so it was it was there was there was a lot to talk about there was a lot of numbers encapsulated in this meeting and I would say of the 53 races that were run, 30 trainers had winners. Uh, 34 jockeys had winners. So we often talk about at the big festivals of, particularly National Hunt in Punchestown and Dublin Racing Festival, the dominance of Elliot and Mullins. That did not happen at Galway, and it was a real, from a broadcaster's perspective as well, it was a dream. There was a lot of people got in on the act. There was a lot of people got some uh, big prize money to take home, and Galway, it really was a special meeting. I know I was looking in at Goodwood, I was looking in a better top-class racing, but there is not... Mixed cards used to be a common place here in Ireland. They're rare now, very rare. And it's something that Galway does better than anybody else, any place else. You can have Alpine Star beating Santiago in the Maiden, and then you could see 
uh, Road to Riches, Win the Galway Plate. That's the kind of place that Galway is. It's a mix of everything and it has something for every audience. Now, turning our attentions to the bloodstock world, and so few stallions really make the top grade. Even fewer manage to make the top grade in the northern and southern hemispheres, but one that has already done the former and is just showing signs of the latter is Knight of Thunder. We know how extraordinarily his stud fee has increased commensurate to his remarkable level of stakes success in, in England and Ireland and France. But it's, it's showing signs at an early stage that he could be doing the same down under. From one small Australian crop, he sired an amazing 86% winners to runners, including the Queensland Derby winner, uh, the Mooney Valley Vars winner as well. And there isn't a stallion that can match his Australasian winners to runners percentage up until this current season. He's uh, beating Shamadal and Camelot and Street Cry and Dubawi and so on and so forth. Johnny McKeever latched on to this stallion early. He's been talking to me, the bloodstock agent, who's had a lot of experience north and uh, northern and southern hemispheres. And I, I asked him what it was that first sort of got him into this horse. Um, obviously, um, obviously, has been far more of a phenomenon up here. And uh, I've, 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 my personally sort of discovered him up here by accident, so to speak, or, you know, the way it goes. But I've just started to notice, and I have a very good friend, friend called Ollie Tate down, um, down under who uh, used to manage uh, Dali up here. And he's got an extremely good horse called Cherry Tortoni in training down in Australia uh, by Night of Thunder. And then I started to notice a few people inquiring if I could find mares to send to Night of Thunder. Obviously, the horse standing up here at the moment, but they will accept mares to cover Southern Hemisphere time. Um, I think he's going well. I don't think he's made a, you know, I don't think he's made a massive breakthrough yet in Australia because they tend to like to see a lot of horses by the same standard. But I think he's one the cognoscenti down there certainly understand about. And um, I think one of the great attractions about Night of Thunder seems to be that his success, wherever it comes, doesn't seem to be reliant on any particular. Uh, bloodline on the female side he seems to be getting good winners out of every type of mare and he might just be one of those rare beasts that can do it in both hemispheres it shouldn't be a surprise should it given that he's by dubawi out of a galileo mare it's fairly it's fairly compelling and he's a guineas winner but it it seemed to take people by surprise can can you sort of remember how he managed to win the industry over and, and why the expectations of him weren't higher when he started off well, yeah, I can because I actually remember uh, very well uh, going to the yearling sales whenever he was sold, which must have been around about nine, um, 2014 or 15, maybe no earlier than that. Uh, when was he born? In 11, so it was 2012 yearling sales. I remember going to ask to see him at the Castlebridge consignment when he was for sale in book one in Newmarket. And uh, the one of the lads who worked for Castlebridge said, "No, you won't want to see him." And I said, "Well, I do anyway." And then he came out, and he had the most appallingly bad, crooked set of front legs. And sure enough, you know, he went completely under the radar. One of the Godolphin um, uh, sort of subsections bought him for a very ridiculously low price. I can't remember what it was, about 32 or 3 grand. I mean, certainly way below what he should have made when he was catalogued in book one. 
And it was a sort of a, you know, everyone was amazed when he won the guineas. I remember everyone standing around talking to people saying, God, do you remember that yearling? He was so crooked. And then I think what happened was when he, you know, turned out to be the great racehorse that he was, he then went to stud and then all the broodmare people started going off on their rounds around all the farms to look at potential stallions, always paying big attention to first season size. And again, there was a lot of, God, I couldn't send my mare to that horse. Have you seen what his front legs are like? And then, uh, then the foals came and they were all perfect. There wasn't one. I didn't see one in any sale that wasn't completely normal. Uh, had no, had not inherited the uh, the, the crooked uh, offset knees that his father had, and um, I, I in particular have been a big fan of him ever since. I, I really sort of fell in love with the foals, the first set of foals, and actually bought one from his second crop, Philly called Swayser, who's turned out to be a, a really top class sprinter, and she won the King George at Goodwood last year. So um, I'm a I'm a I'm a big fan. I can't really afford them nowadays. That's the problem. <laughs> Do you think they trend more toward the faster side of a mile than the staying side of a mile? Yes, indeed. I mean, he can get very fast ones, but they can stay a bit. And there's a couple down in Australia whose names escape me, but I know they've been winning over a mile and two and things like that. But, um, yeah, I think he can get them over most distances, to be honest, but not not extreme staying, but anything from five furlongs to a mile and a bit, no problems. Uh, what, uh, you, what, you do, what you don't often hear, Johnny, is trainers slagging them off which is a, a great boon for, for any stallion, because as soon as trainers start going bad on them, that's, that's, that's game over. When people talk about yeah. trainers' horses at the sales, what, what do you think they mean by that? Uh, they come out, they look, they look um, as yearlings. They're very, very good for sales because they look ready. So obviously most people, trainers buying commercial sales, can't afford those sort of horses that are going to take time. Um, I suppose you could say they can't afford a Dubawi, so they kind of go for the poor man's Dubawi, which is Night of Thunder. But they look sharp. They look like they'll probably win as two-year-olds. But they go on, and we we know they go on. Um, So, um, yeah, he's got the perfect sort of combination for mid-range bloodstock agents and trainers like me who can't afford to buy really top lots, but... uh, probably get a, a budget once in a while of sort of up to 150 to 200 grand for a yearling and some of them are realistic buys of that probably becoming less so as time goes on but for a few years we've been able to afford a night of thunder and then i think the trainers have loved their temperaments because they they seem to be triers they seem to be easy to train and uh, put the head down a bit like Dubois and they just want to win for you and they don't seem to have any particular traits or quirks that i've heard of Anyway, I mean, they're just a, a, a fabulous sire for someone who, like me, who when you're not buying at the absolute top end. Okay, thanks to Johnny and to all my guests today. Jane is still with me, and Jane has some advice for you for Wednesday afternoon. I don't know if anybody wants to heed my advice, but I'm going to the West again for the Connacht Oaks Phillies Handicap at 6.30 at Sligo. Willie McCreary and Billy Lee have been in fantastic form, and this Bay of Bengal beat Magic Chicago over this trip at the Curra. We know that form is working out well from Galway. So Bay of Bengal to win the 6.30 at Sligo for Willie McCreary and Billy Lee. Beautiful. Jane, thanks so much. Uh, as I said, I'm on my way to Saratoga tomorrow uh, to cover the Whitney for NBC at the weekend. Uh, Tom will be with you then and I will be back bright and early on Friday morning. Uh, Looking forward to seeing you then. Uh, But for the moment, that was Wednesday, the 3rd of August. Bye-bye.
You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.